The content presented in this podcast is solely for educational purposes and should not be used as medical advice to diagnose, manage, or treat any health conditions. If you or someone you know has a condition or disease discussed in this podcast, we would encourage you to create and implement a care plan specific to your needs under the supervision of an appropriately licensed healthcare professional. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of experts in the field of fetal medicine and should not be interpreted as the standard of care. Hey, Womates, welcome back to the News Womb. Uh, this is not Aaron Moise, this is Ken Moise, pinch hitting today. Erin's been a little bit of a world traveler, and so she's got a little bit behind on our postings. Then she had jet lag to get over, and then I gave her a cold. So uh, we missed wow, Monday's... you actually owned it that you gave it to me. I did. I gave her the cold. So we, uh, <clears throat> we were a little bit behind on Monday's posting, but we'll post today, and we'll get back on schedule for next Monday. So stay tuned, roommates. We're getting right back into the, into the vogue of talking about twins. So stay tuned. At Twins R Us. At Twins R Us. And I made him record this because I sound terrible right now. So we're, we have plenty of back recordings that I wanted to put out a couple each week. And he told me no. So they'll still come. But this one's going to be late this week. And then we'll be back on our Monday mornings. Back on track. Back yes. on track. Stay okay. tuned. Stay tuned. And then this one will be Management of Twins. Coming at you now. Hey, Woomates. Welcome back to the News Woom. This is Aaron Moise. And this is Ken Moise. And we're back in Toys R Us. Twins R Us. Twins R Us. We're back in Twins R Us. And we're going down a new aisle tonight, today. We're recording during the day for once. Wow. Sunlight It's daylight. Yeah. Sunlight. We actually have some daylight outside. So tonight's, today's, today's aisle is management of twins we've talked about some basic background the different types chorionicity so now we're going to talk about management and probably more management in the context of like on uncomplicated twin pregnancy just like general management correct yeah general general things to think about with twins yeah we'll get into the more complexities and surgeries and things like that later but we got to get you some building blocks first so let's start with the basics of the basics how do you use ultrasound to monitor twin pregnancy? Well, let's start with just reiterating from our last episode about crumb rump length is important. Pick the bigger baby of the two to determine the gestational age. And then we talked a lot about chorionicity with lambda signs and T signs, and T signs indicating monochorionic twins being high risk and needing more monitoring that we'll talk about in a second, and lambda signs being dichorionic twins that will ultimately need less monitoring. Let's start with monochorionic twins. Those are the high-risk twins, remember. We're going to actually start doing ultrasounds at 16 weeks, so early crown rump, you know, before 12 weeks. And at 16 weeks, we're going to start looking at the babies, more for their fluid in each sac and their bladders. You want to see a bladder in both babies, particularly if there's one that's smaller. You want to be sure that baby's bladder is filling because we're looking for signs of twin-twin transfusion. We'll talk about that in a later episode. But that can occur as early as 16 weeks, and it can be treated that early. So we want to start scans every two weeks, and monochorionic, start, monochorionic twins start at 16 weeks. Okay, so two-story house, 
the monochromatic twins are in the same story, but in different bedrooms, remember? Right. So I'm saying monitoring for a two-story house. Uh, the two-story house, the dichromatic twins. Well, I'm trying to pull it all together. So dichromatic and monochromatic, we're now up to 20 weeks. They all need an anatomy scan, right? Okay. So both, doesn't matter what kind of twins. So you know, just about like any singleton. Every house needs an inspection at 20 weeks. Termite inspection. Okay. And then HOA comes by how often <laughs> on the single story versus the two story? Yeah, well, let, we'll get that in a second. Let's talk about why we need to do this anatomy scan. So dichronic twins come from two embryos. So their risk of an anomaly is about the same as singletons. But you can have discord anomalies as many as 1 in 25 of these pregnancies. So one baby has a heart problem, the other baby's normal because they come from two different eggs and two different sperm and two different sets of genetics. Monochorionic twins, remember, and people get this confused, they're from the same egg, right? They're monozygotic, same genes, but their risk of birth defects is two to three times higher than singleton. So as many as one in 15 sets of monochorionic twins have at least one baby with an anomaly. Now you would say, well, how can that be? They're identical. There are lots of other factors that go into this, including things like epigenetics. That's the way genes are expressed by other genes. But we know that you can have one identical twin with a problem, heart problem, whatever. Wait, uh, let's bring it to a a previous episode. We talked about this briefly. Did we? In our new Amsterdam episode. Oh, yeah, that's right. When they did twin, they said they're identical twins, so yes, they have the same lung mass. Yeah, that's pretty rare. Right, so that's this discordant anomalies that would be more common to see it in one twin, correct? Yeah, to be honest, I don't know that I've seen (laughs) monochorionic twins with both having the the same same structural problem. That's, That's almost unheard of. Usually it's one of the babies. Now, if you go into monoamniotic twins, that's we said everybody's in the same bedroom, right? Same sack. That one in six sets has one baby with an abnormality. Again, it's very rare for both babies to be affected. Not unheard of, but rare. But that means one out of six sets of monoamniotic twins has a baby with a structural anomaly. So what has been said is that everybody gets an anatomy scan at 20 weeks, but they should also get a special look at the heart. That's called a fetal echocardiogram. And in any set of monochorionic or monoamniotic twins, we should have a either a very skilled maternal fetal medicine specialist or a pediatric cardiologist do a fetal echocardiogram to look at that heart, make sure it's as normal as we can tell it will be. Okay, so that's a unique special recommendation for the monochorionic or identical twins. And everybody at 20 weeks or thereabouts, you get a cervical length, particularly if it's their first pregnancy. And anything below 25 millimeters in length, that's, that includes the use of a vaginal probe placed in the vagina to look at the cervix. And if that cervical length is less than 25 millimeters, that's a very high-risk situation for preterm delivery. So our dichorionic twins, back to our low-risk twins, they just get a scan every three to four weeks. Be sure these kiddos are growing okay. So HOA only comes by every three to four weeks Yeah, inspection. termite inspection every three or four okay. weeks. Our monochorionic twins continue getting every two-week scans. And then like at every other scan, we do the growth so every four weeks. But it's key that we keep watching the fluids and the bladders in these babies so they, you know we can rule out the development of twin-twin which we said complicates 10 to 15% of these pregnancies. We also, according to at least one group, not an American uh, society, but the International Society for Ultrasound and Medicine, we should be looking at Dopplers. Now, Dopplers are special ultrasound, 
used to look at various blood vessels to see if there's an abnormality. In this case, we want to look at the umbilical artery, which reflects placental resistance. And we want to look at the middle cerebral artery, which we talked about a bit during our RH episodes. But we want to do both, looking for complications that can occur in these monochorionic twins. And that should happen every two weeks. Because again, we have treatments for these conditions if we find problems. So bladders, fluid, MCA, and umbilical artery every two weeks, monochorionic twins, growth every four weeks. Okay, so that covers ultrasound. Can we talk about screening for chromosomal problems, whether using genetic testing or ultrasound findings? Right, so I think we've all moved to first trimester screening as much as possible. And again, we talked about chromosomal blanks. You can use a nuchal translucency in twins where you look at the clear space behind the neck and combine that with some blood work on the mother, some what we call serum analytes, and that's accurate in twins. You can also use free DNA that's now been shown to be accurate. But remember, if we have a vanishing twin uh, and that twin dies for some chromosomal reason, that can affect the outcome while the other baby could be normal. So you have to be cognizant of an abnormal finding on free DNA or NIPT when there's been a vanishing twin. It's probably not the optimal test. If it comes back normal, you're okay. But if it comes back abnormal, you need to think about, was that from the vanishing twin's placenta or does that reflect both babies? So you need to figure out what the other baby's doing. And so if you were to go and do additional genetic testing with something like an amniocentesis, and say you have a diamniotic twin pregnancy, do you have to get a fluid sample from both sacs? Yeah, great question. So most of us will pretty much always sample both sacs uh, because as we said, there can be some discordance in structural anomalies. There can be discordance in chromosomal anomalies, particularly for dichorionic twins. So uh, in the past, we used to go through the membrane and get fluid from one side and the other side. Now I think the state of the art is to do one amnio on one side and then try not to hit the intervening membrane because uh, that can cause complications if it tears and then go on the other side of the uterus and get the other baby and be sure you're in the each time you're in the correct sac so you get a sample from each baby and then it's what real important to note you know the location of the babies at least so that if one of them comes back abnormal you know which baby we're talking about so we know twin pregnancies in general have higher risk of complications, particularly a higher incidence of maternal complications like anemia because babies are parasites and diabetes and preeclampsia. Do you manage twin pregnancies differently than a singleton pregnancy from a maternal standpoint? Yeah, so when you have more placentas, well, first of all, when you have more baby and you actually have a higher blood volume that the mother has in twins compared to singletons, she's going to need to make to use more iron, right? She's going to make more red blood cells in her own system, and then she's got to make all the blood in two babies, not one. So the iron requirement in a pregnancy is much higher with twins. So we, I always like to put them on extra iron in addition to their prenatal vitamin and watch their blood counts maybe one or two times more than a usual pregnancy because anemia is very common, particularly iron deficiency anemia. Diabetes, because you've got a large placental mass or two placentas, you can get a higher incidence of gestational diabetes. So I like to screen these patients earlier than usual, maybe 24 weeks, and then maybe again at 30 weeks with a glucola because there is more chance for gestational diabetes because of more placental mass, more hormones coming out of the placenta to try to make that mother a diabetic. And we know also there's a higher risk of preeclampsia 
with twin pregnancies. We're not 100% sure why it's related to the placenta. And so most people will put these patients on aspirin therapy. Uh, the U.S. has a tendency to use uh, one baby aspirin, that's 80 milligrams of aspirin. The British feel like we use too low a dose, and we should use 150 milligrams, that's their dose. So we're seeing more and more that docs are putting patients on two baby aspirin, and that might make a little more sense in twins since mom has a bigger blood volume. One for each baby. And Yeah, one, one aspirin per baby. <laughs> uh, and you need to start that pretty early. You need to start that like at about 12 weeks because... Aspirin works better if it started before 16 weeks to prevent preeclampsia. So I would consider one or two aspirins uh, in these pregnancies with twins. So twins usually deliver earlier than singletons. We know that. But what can we do to prevent preterm delivery? You talked briefly about measuring a cervical length and the parameters for what's considered a short cervix. What do you do about preventing preterm delivery in that context? Yeah, the truth is we know they're at higher risk if they have a short cervix. So we said under 25 millimeters on a vaginal probe ultrasound. We don't have good data on almost anything that works well. So we've tried cerclages. Some people have even done prophylactic cerclages. And the data actually says that when you stitch the cervix close prophylactically in twins, you have a higher risk of preterm delivery because you're putting a foreign body in the cervix. So prophylactic cerclage is a definite no-no. But even other cerclages for a short cervix have not proven useful. There was a lot of interest in vaginal pessaries. That's a mechanical device. used to be used in older women to support their bladder. People thought, well, if we could support the cervix and maybe keep a lot of pressure off of the cervix from gravity from a big uterus, and that hasn't panned out either. And probably the only thing to think about, because the data is a little iffy on this, there are studies that are pro and studies that are con, would be the use of some sort of vaginal progesterone, uh, about 100 milligrams every night. Some people use this Crenolone cream, which is a little bit expensive, but it's an 8% cream you can put in the vagina. And we're not sure how progesterone around the cervix works, but it seems in some studies to be helpful. So I would at least offer that to my patient with twins with a short cervix because we don't have much else to offer them. People have looked at bed rest, doesn't work. They've looked at putting them on prophylactic tocolytics like uh, some beta mimetics or uh, like terbutaline or nifedipine and that doesn't seem to work. And I don't think there's a place for just prophylactic steroids to help the lungs. I think you should reserve antenatal steroids for when you think the patient's definitely going into preterm labor, but just giving them prophylactically in twins doesn't make a lot of sense. You should kind of keep them in reserve for when you really need them. Well, and probably increasing mom's diabetic risks further, already being at increased risk, having twin pregnancy, but then also shooting her with steroids. Right. So we know when you give steroids to anybody who has a propensity to diabetes, you can enhance their blood sugars, at least transiently. So you have to keep that in the back of your mom, particularly if the patient's an overt diabetic. So do MFMs or OBs utilize any sort of antenatal testing in twin pregnancies? Yeah, so obviously if there's evidence of growth restriction in one of the babies, so one of the babies isn't growing as well as the other baby, then once we get down to a baby, say at the 10th percentile, some people use a difference in the twins of 20% or 25%. I'm more a fan of looking at each baby's growth curve to see if they're growing on their own curve. But if a baby's falling off on the growth curve, then I think you have to think about antenatal testing when that's found, and that could vary it could be as early as 26 or 28 weeks. 
In the uncomplicated monochorionic twin gestation, most centers would start doing testing at least once a week by 32 weeks or eight months. You pick the test you like. It could be a non-stress test. It could be uh, what's called a modified biophysical profile, which is a non-stress test with a fluid check by ultrasound, or it could be just a biophysical profile, which is all ultrasound with a non-stress test backup for suspected you know, iffy values. In dichorionic twins, the American College of OBGYN recommends even if there's normal growth in both babies, to start testing at 36 weeks, at least once a week. I love taking histories from twin pregnancies because the first thing I always ask them is, what do they give you for a due date? And they always tell me, and or if they seem confused or like they're not sure, I always tell them, it doesn't matter because um, you're not going to deliver on that date anyways. So when are twins usually delivered? I know it's never on their actual due date. <laughs> Yeah, twins typically deliver earlier than singletons. Most people say average is 36 weeks. But let's say they're going on. I think by an uncomplicated dichorionic twins, most people will deliver between 38 and 39 weeks. They won't let them go to their due date. Uh, that's an uncomplicated uh, dichorionic. Again, if you have a growth problem in one of the babies, you may end up with an earlier delivery. In uncomplicated monochorionic twins, because they can develop some complications even late in pregnancy, we would deliver between 34 and 38. And if there's some complication, particularly early twin-twin or growth restriction or something, you deliver by 32 weeks. Probably give steroids in advance. Maybe give some magnesium sulfate in advance to protect uh, the brain of the babies and then get them delivered. Okay, and let's talk about the very controversial topic of method of delivery for well, twins. Yeah, that's pretty simple. I bet about, last statistic I read, about 80% of twins now are being delivered by C-section. I think more often than not, monochorionic twins are almost routinely delivered by C-section. ACOG, the American College of OBGYN, is actually silent in its bulletin on how to deliver monochorionic twins. They do talk about the delivery of, of dichorionic twins typically after 32 weeks. And basically, they state that the first baby has to be vertex, and then it sort of depends on the experience of the operator as to whether the second baby could be breech or could be transverse lie, because that's going to require breech extraction. And a lot of our new OBGYNs are just not comfortable doing breech extractions, and so they're going to probably, even with a vertex breech or vertex transverse, talk to the patient about doing a cesarean section. One of the biggest failures I always thought in obstetrics was to have the first twin deliver vaginally because it's vertex, and then have the inability to get the second baby out and have to do a C-section. So the poor mom has two types of deliveries and goes through all of that and has a C-section anyway. I mean, vertex, vertex babies, which would be the best kind of twins to deliver, that's about almost half, 45% to half of presentations in twins. Whereas vertex breach and vertex transverse lie are about 40%. So those are both presentations that could deliver vaginally. But again, I think you need to ask your provider what their comfort level is. And truly by, you know, 34 to 35 weeks, the ultrasound would sort of help you tell what the presentation is. And the babies are not going to move. They kind of socked in. And you can make a plan with your obstetrician as to what the plan is for delivery and, and the date of delivery. So again, most twins these days are being delivered by cesarean. The reason, by the way, we don't deliver a breech baby first that's a twin is you can get something called interlocking twins. So when you pull the breech, the first baby breech and you pull it down, that chin can get stuck on the other baby's chin. Those are called interlocking twins, and then you have a real problem trying to get those babies out. So if the first baby's not vertex, C-section's the rule. If the first baby's vertex, it's sort of dealer's choice based on the obstetrician's skill set and experience. 
And you didn't talk a whole lot this episode about monoamniotic twins. So can you just talk briefly about how those pregnancies are managed? Right. So remember we said monoamniotic twins live in the same bedroom. I mean, they they share one amniotic cavity, pretty rare, about one in 10,000 pregnancies. So we don't see very many of these. And they almost always have tangled cords. So because they're swimming in the same sack early along, they swim around each other and they tangle their cords. And more recent data would say they have somewhere between a 12 and 23% rate of death. And most people think it's related to the entanglement of the cords that can potentially cause that. There are really no good randomized trials, and there's a lot of anecdotal studies on the best management of these twins. Some people manage them as an outpatient and do monitoring to look for decelerations starting around the time when the babies are viable, say 24, 26 weeks. Other centers talk to the mom and say, look, would you let us do a C-section if we get into trouble? And when would you let us do that? And again, some people say 24 weeks, some people say 28 weeks. But many centers will put these patients in the hospital at that point, put them on the fetal monitor, maybe even as much as three times a day for an hour just to look for any kind of decelerations, and then routinely electively section them at 32 to 34 weeks so we don't lose any babies after that. That's pretty much the standard is to deliver these babies early by C-section because of the tangled cords. And so I think most centers are doing C-sections between 32 and 34 weeks. Uh, A lot of controversy about inpatient versus outpatient monitoring. But in my experience, having done this for a while, I don't think I've ever lost a set of monoamniotic twins that we monitored on the inpatient side. Some people try to do continuous monitoring, which is impractical. The babies move and nurses can't keep them on the monitor. But, you know, a snapshot a couple of times a day for an hour gives you some idea of how the babies are doing when they're moving as far as the tangled cords. And my experience has been that if they're going to get into trouble, they start showing early signs of decelerations as they move around. And eventually those become deep enough and often enough that you bail early and go ahead and do the C-section. So I'm a fan of inpatient monitoring with frequent monitoring strips a couple of times a day and C-section at 32, 34 weeks. Again, steroids on board first, magnesium sulfate for brain protection, and then elective C-section. Well, Woo Mates, thanks for joining us to continue our discussion on Woo Mates. <laughs> How about we call them twin mates? They're Woo Mates, but they're twin mates too. Twinning Woo Mates. Twinning Woo Mates? Twinning okay. Woo Mates. Twinning Woo Mates. Twinning Woo Mates. And we have lots more to talk about with twins. We'll probably, in the next few episodes, be getting a bit more into the complications and some of those more complex diagnoses and how we treat those with surgery and fetal medicine. Um, We will have some exciting debunking dramatizations because man do TV shows love twins. And we also have some special guests in this series coming up. So stay tuned, Woomates. But in the meantime, this is Aaron Moise signing off. And this is Ken Moise. More to follow. See ya. Oh, 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 oh.